now presenting live from 401 Maplewood Drive in Jupiter, Florida. Join our family every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m. Today's message brought to you by Pastor Melissa Pierce. this church. I love this church with my whole heart. You have you have no idea how much I love this church. You know, you guys see me every service, every weekend standing at the door. And I'm doing that not because um, we can't find enough greeters or whatever. We got some amazing greeters, amazing people on our team. Um, because I want to set the tone for your worship experience. It's that important to me that you feel greeted, that you feel welcome. I love you so much that I just, I want to be out they're ready to greet you every time you walk in the door. Amen? I'm so glad you're here today. We're going to talk about developing a heart for the house. We're going to talk about developing a heart for what Jesus loved, what Jesus built, and talking about the church. You know, I am a product of the church. My life is a product of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, If Jesus was looking for a poster child um, for what he intended the church to do and to be, I would be, he would pick me, I think, because I can't from a family that was so broken. I grew up in a home where there was so much chaos and turmoil all throughout uh, my childhood into my teen years and young adulthood. When I was about three years old, my mom started going to this burgeoning church um, on this on the downtown in the downtown area of Richmond, Virginia. And the church, a lot like this church, met in a in a storefront. Um, and they were just people who were so excited about Jesus Christ. They were so excited about his message that they were willing to put in a tremendous amount of time, effort, and energy. And they didn't even know who might be the recipient of it. They didn't realize that there was a three or four or five-year-old girl that was going from the main sanctuary area outside up the stairs to a moose lodge. Who remembers the moose lodge? Who knows where the moose lodge is? It's like a fraternal men's organization. Anyhow, they rented children's church space from the moose lodge. And I would go up those stairs on the weekends, and and God just gripped my life. He did something so um, incredible in my life through the, the collection of people, the gathering of people who chose to impact their city for the name of Jesus Christ. You know, and as at three and four years old, I I just, I knew that God was doing something in me. I was so fascinated by, by the puppets and the, and the effort and everything that was happening in that children's church. I was fascinated by this like little bookstore that they had as I walked by into the sanctuary and the people who were serving in there that seemed so happy. And I just, I had such an experience at church and it was setting such a tone for my life that I I had no idea the course that it would set me on until today. See, every day I went home to a house where things were always in shambles. My dad, unfortunately, for all of his adult life struggled with addiction. Um, he brought that into our home through alcohol mostly and drugs. Um, and of course, affected us financially. It affected our, um, you know, just, just our day-to-day living. Nothing was ever the same. Nothing was ever uh, a routine. You never knew exactly what was going to happen. 
And when I was 15 years old, um, my parents hit a really bad place, a really bad spot. Um, my dad just really took like a dive and um, he lost his job and he was really depressed and he was, he really could not even get out of the bed and he was just medicating himself constantly. And uh, my parents were evicted from their home and we had nowhere to go. When I was 15 years old, my family had nowhere to go. And who reached out to us during that time? It was the church. It was the intention of Jesus Christ to care for the people who gather together under his name. It worked. What he actually planned worked in my life. There was a lady, there is a lady who is a very dear friend of mine, like a mother to me um, in Richmond, Virginia. Her name is Angela Galante. She is the administrator of the church that we belong to. She's a single woman. She's been single her whole life. And um, at that time, at 15 years old, she invited me to come and live in her home. My mom and my little brother moved in with my, with, uh, my mom's sister, my aunt. My older brother just kind of started sleeping on people's couches. And my dad moved in with a woman. And for about two years, I lived with this lady. She cared for me. At such a critical time in my life, she, she taught me things. She taught me about life. She taught me about a checkbook. She, she taught me just the practical things about living. And while she was teaching me the practical things about living, God was using those practical things to teach me the spiritual things, to teach me that there is value in his body, to teach me that the body of Christ is there to care for one another, to nourish one another, that he is the head of the church and that he watches out for the church and the church is there to support one another and to carry out the mission of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus introduced the concept of the church. In Matthew chapter 16, um, if you have your Bible and you'd like to turn there, um, it is, this is an account where Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. And it's one of my favorite um, passages in scripture. I, I, this is one of the passages in scripture where I actually imagine what Jesus and his disciples are doing. I kind of picture that they're like in between appointments and um, they're hanging out and Jesus is like reclining on a rock and they're just sitting around and they're chatting and they're, and, and Jesus just throws a question out there. You know, this is the disciples and Jesus and he's like wearing a robe and he's leaning back and he's, he just asks the guys, who do men say that I am? What he's saying is, what do people think about me? What do people think about what I'm doing? You know, what do people think about me? And somebody pipes up and they say, well, Jesus, you know, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elijah or one of the prophets. Basically saying you're somebody from the Old Testament that has come back, potentially. And Jesus doesn't defend himself. He doesn't say, I can't believe those people think that. That's ridiculous. He says, what do you guys think? Who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up and he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. When he says that, what he means is you are the answer for all of humanity throughout the ages. The void in the soul of every single person and the pain that they carry, now that you have come to the earth and when you die on that cross, it will be the answer for all humanity. That's what he's saying when he says you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus looks back at him and he says, 
blessed are you, Simon. His name was Simon Peter. Blessed are you, Simon. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, meaning this. Nobody told you. Nobody, nobody you know, shared that with you, that you weren't having a conversation with a bunch of people, and you guys came to this conclusion. Nobody told you. But my Father, who is in heaven, told you this. And he said, you know what else? You're Peter, which his name means stone or rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I love that passage because I am a beneficiary of what Jesus meant when he said, I will build my church. My life is a product of his intention. And I'm so thankful that there are people like this right here who are willing to gather, willing to sacrifice, willing to give time, effort, and energy so that people can be saved. Because you never know the Melissa Pierce, the little Melissa Pierce that is over in that children's church right now, that is benefiting from what you're doing, benefiting from just you showing up, benefiting from you being faithful. My life is different. You know, in that passage, Jesus tells us a couple of things. He tells us, number one, that it's his church, and he's going to build it. He's going to build it on himself, for himself, by himself. It's his church. It's not our church. It is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The next thing he tells us, it is built on the idea that there is hope for all of humanity, all of humanity, every single person, every person that ever was and ever will be. There is hope for them through the name of Jesus Christ. And then the next thing he does, which is really interesting, is he predicts that there will be opposition. He says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There, that is predictable opposition against the church. But he gives us hope even in that, that we're going to win that we win, that the church wins, not just at the end of the age when he comes back like we sang in the song, not just then, but today, even now, every time you say no to that resistance, you wake up on Sunday morning and you're like, oh, don't feel like going. What time is it? I'm going to be late anyway. Every time you experience that, and you overcome it, and you come to gather, the gates of hell are not prevailing against this church. Every time you connect with someone, every time you encourage, with, every time you encourage someone, the gates of hell are not prevailing against the church. You are the value-added part. I think people get a little disillusioned with church when we get farther and farther away from the source of it. See, sometimes in our society, we mistake the church for activities and programs and, and a building or lots of different things. We mistake the church for, for just all kinds of things. And some people call it an outdated man-made organization. But God calls it a mysterious organism that is relevant for today. It's a body. It's living. It's breathing. It is alive on the earth today. The Bible also calls it a phenomenon. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. The Bible also calls it a mystery. 
And to me, it is a phenomenon. It is a global phenomenon. You know, when you think about the church, you think about Jesus saying this in Matthew chapter 16. He has this conversation with his disciples. He introduces the idea of this gathering. When he says the word church, that's exactly what it means, gathering. A gathering of believers, not a building. This is a shopping plaza. It's not a church building, right? Um, he introduces this idea of gathering. It, ha- it doesn't exist yet. After his death, it begins with 120 people. It then expands into a few thousand, a few thousand more. All of a sudden, they're starting to call the disciples and those people, the people who turn the world upside down. And now it is a global phenomenon. And just like it says in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, that it is a mystery. You can't stop it. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't, nobody can. And in fact, in the book of Acts, they talked about this. There was a gentleman and, and, and all of these rulers in Israel, they were angry because of what was happening in the church at the day. The church was so loud. It was so overwhelming to the city that the rulers of the city had to get together to try to determine what to do. And this one gentleman, he says, don't you guys remember that guy? He tried to get like 400 people together and it worked for a little while, but then it came to nothing. But if this is from God, you cannot stop it. And that is what the church is. It is an unstoppable force on the earth today. And it is Jesus's mode and it is Jesus's way and it always will be. He equates the church to a bride to a body, and to a house. All three of those left in, left to themselves, a marriage left to itself, a, a body left to itself, a house left to itself, becomes in disrepair. If a body sits down and does nothing, what happens to the muscles? They atrophy. That's why I'm so thankful for what we are doing here at Generation Church. I have some good news for you today. What you experience today, what you experience every single weekend here, what you're going to experience at the Fall Festival is a small taste of what God is going to do in Jupiter, Florida. It is a small taste of what God is going to do in West Palm Beach, Florida. I am so committed to it. I am so committed to the promise of his church. And I know that there's a lot of misconceptions out there. I know that there are a lot of things that have bumped against our, our idea, our idealistic desire for the church. I know that. Believe me, I know that. One of the great mysteries of the church is that God uses imperfect people to carry out a perfect mission. So I know this. I recognize this. But what if we could begin to believe in the church again? You know, the church was only ever intended to be about Jesus. Turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. I am thankful for the Father who sent him. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit who is on the earth today. But take a look at Colossians chapter 1. Verses 15 through 18, you're going to find in your scripture there that it utilizes a lot of male pronouns, like he, him, and his. Um, 
And But for the purposes of this, I, I know through reading it that all of those male pronouns in every single case refer to Jesus, for sure. So for the purposes of what we're doing today, we're going to insert his name where the pronoun will go. So, and it will help us recenter on what the church is for, why we do it, and what it's about. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus, all things consist. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, Jesus may have the preeminence. That tells us right there what our purpose is, what the programs are for, what the reason why we do anything that we do is for. It is so that Jesus can have the preeminence. And it's just like he said back in Matthew chapter 16, that I am going to build my church on the idea that hope has flooded a dark world, that light is available in dark places. And I need this body. What he's saying is I need this body to carry it out. I need this body to be healthy, to be functional, and to carry it out. I'm declaring and believing for total functionality, not dysfunction, functionality and health for the body of Christ everywhere and here. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions about the church. Um, You know, one of them being that going to church is not even in the Bible. Anybody ever heard that before? No, I recognize that you're here, so you do not have this misconception. But as I was preparing for this message, I was reading some things online, and over and over and over again on this blog, I saw where people were saying, um, you know, you uh, going to church isn't in the Bible. And I had this momentary uh, panic, this momentary panic where I was like, what if going to church isn't in the Bible? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> And then I remember the scripture in Hebrews that talks about do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, basically saying, hey, Christians, um, continue to gather. But that's one scripture. So I was like, let me get into this. Let me really see what it does say. So I did some study. I was digging in. And I realized that going to church is not in the Bible. Going to church is the Bible. Starting in the book of Acts with the formation of the early church, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, all letters written to churches about church life. Timothy, written to church leadership about how to act. And Revelation, the first three chapters, written to seven churches by Jesus himself. Going to church is the Bible. It's not in the Bible. It is the Bible. And how we interact, how we carry this thing out can determine our portion of the body and the health that we bring to it and the health that we bring to it. Last night after the service, there's a gentleman in our church. His name is Tim McCann. And for those of you who know Tim, uh, he is a very fatherly person. He has multiple children and he, he's just, he's a wonderful, wonderful man. And he was encouraging me after the service. And in that moment of encouragement, I just, I felt this, this fatherly love, this very intense fatherly love. 
And I recognized it because I don't really understand that concept, if I'm just being honest. You know, growing up, my father was largely absent, and I never really learned what that is or how it works. And so when I feel it, it's it's very acute to me. It's very um, overwhelming to me. And so I was just so appreciative of that last night. And I was thinking about it this morning. And I was thinking about the body of Christ. And when we bring believers who do not know the love of a Savior, when they come into a body that loves one another, that they experience a love that they know nothing about, that they cannot really understand because they have not experienced such an overwhelming, whole and perfect love before. That is what you do when you are the hands and feet of Christ, when we are the church. That is what you do. You expose people to a love that they do not understand. That's what I love about the church. I have some questions for you this morning. What if, as a church... What if we burned so deeply with the love and passion of Jesus Christ? And what if we chose to bring such health, such energy, such vitality to his body? And the two work synergistically together that as a force, as a collective force of Jesus and his body working together, we were unstoppable. What if? What if? What if the church at large became so functional and healthy that we were a local and global force to be reckoned with? What if our neighbors and friends saw such a deep passion for Jesus in us that they had to come here and see what it was all about? What if every person experienced such a fulfillment by being the best part of the body they could be? What if we had to create places for people to serve because there was a waiting list for all of our existing teams? What if we caught the vision that every single time people come through those doors, they're, they're fascinated by what Jesus is doing in the midst of his church, and we never know whose life we're impacting. And we were so aggressive, so committed to getting involved in his body because we just wanted to be part of building what Jesus built. I'm not asking you today to do anything. I'm not asking you to sign up for a team. I'm not asking you to get involved in a life group. What I am going to ask you to do is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Make Jesus the preeminent thing in your life. Before you come to church every single weekend, which I hope you will come every single weekend to know what's happening in the body here. When you come to church, prepare yourself to exalt Jesus above all things. Prepare yourself to gather with the body every day of your life. Make sure that he is the highest, that he is the first, that he is the greatest. And then as a collective body, when we come together, we will make such an impact. There will be such unity under one name and his mission will be constantly carried out. When he is the preeminent thing, it is hard to be bored. When he gets the priority, it is difficult to be offended by someone. And when I am satisfied with him, my need to be satisfied with others is eclipsed by how deeply satisfying he is. I am so desirous 
to see the city, to see this nation, to see the state, to see this county impacted with the love and message of Jesus Christ. And I know that that can only come when we make him the preeminent thing. His church is not far behind because his heart is his church is his bride. Ben doesn't go very far away from me very often. He doesn't get very far away, don't like to be far away. And when we get far away, we miss each other. The same thing with Jesus and his bride. If you're far away from him today, he misses you. And he wants you to come back to him. Close your eyes. I know that there are some people here today who maybe you have not had the best experiences in your church life. You know, maybe you've been disappointed by some people. Maybe you um, lost some relationships or you were part of a church where something very negative um, took place. And I want to pray for you today that, that the past would be over. You know, after the last service, somebody shared an analogy with me that about a knee, about a knee injury. And they've had three surgeries on their knee and, and they thought to themselves many times, man, I wish my knee would work like it used to. And I wonder if sometimes Jesus looks at us, the parts of the body that have been injured, and he says, man, I want full restoration for that person, for that part them it comes through letting go of the past forgiving and looking to the dawning of a new day where his bride is so glorious so beautiful like it says in Ephesians chapter 5 he will present us to himself a glorious bride without spot or wrinkle What I love about that passage is that he commits himself to treat us well. When we are the body of Christ, he commits himself to treat us well, to treat us with kindness and nourishment and respect. So with everybody's eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know, I'm ready for that new day. I've had some past hurts and I want to put them behind me. I want Jesus to heal me. Would you just look up at me? If God is moving on your heart, and you just say, I, I want to, that yesterday is gone. I see you. Anybody else that you just say, I'm, I, I want to be done with all of that, and I'm ready, I'm ready to take my place in the body. If you're here today and maybe you don't know Jesus at all, he's never been the Lord of your life or your Savior, and you would like to accept him today, would you look up at me as well? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I just thank you so much for these people. I thank you for what your word says in, in Ephesians chapter 5. 
that you nourish and cherish the body. Father, I pray for every hurt, every past, every every situation that has negatively affected our impact on this world. I ask that you would heal it, that you would bring your peace to that, that place, that you would let that person know that it is okay, that we can move forward now knowing that you treat us well, that you committed yourself to treat the body gently, kindly, with respect. And together, if we would all pray this to welcome our brothers and sisters into uh, the kingdom of God, if you will just repeat after me, say, Father God, thank you for sending Jesus. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I confess him as my Lord today. Jesus, help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.